Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. I swear I'm not dead, but there was a GT this weekend. <laughs> so I appreciate uh, lugging it out and showing up at our late recording hour here on Sunday. Uh, lots to go over, a lot on the competitive side of things, uh, some more uh, events that rounding out ninth edition plus some more previews of a peek behind two or three factions behind the wall but more importantly we're spending a lot of time uh, a second follow-up article regarding how missions will work both in competitive play and narrative play and uh, answers a lot of questions we left off of when we spoke about that during a previous episode but um, first and foremost let's get into that faction focus uh, let's start off uh, chaos space marines are, are being uh, taunted about with a nifty new ability so first and foremost uh, if you haven't been following these all along they're like a certain podcast host yes <laughs> so what they've been doing is uh one release every weekday is what they've been doing and uh kind of giving uh the same format here's your uh army ability here's a few uh, data sheets uh no point values yet and then last but not least here's like a um nifty aha and usually what you're getting is some sort of like a stratagem or something like that usually what you're getting is like a troop choice some well-known um hq choice and then so it gives you kind of a flavor and a direction where they're going and you can kind of start anticipating what uh future will be uh for 10th edition for your favorite faction before i get to yeah, the case space friends i haven't have that open and uh, no surprises here uh the synapse ability if you're within six inches of a synapse creature uh, you made two battle shock with 3d6 instead of 2d6 so not quite fearless like it always been but uh, definitely leadership style buff shadow on the warp though we were very curious how this was going to change because we noticed early on it doesn't seem to be any psychic tests or psychic denial so how does that work so now the new shadow of the warp is a once per game uh done in your command phase so once per battle you may choose every every cre every data sheet or every model let me start over on that any unit from your army that has this ability on the battlefield yeah uh you unleash the shadow warp when you do so each enemy unit on the battlefield must take a battle shock test yeah that's um that's a bit that's probably scarier than what my current dread table is for chaos knights uh because sure me me having you take dread tests you have to be within like 12 or 15 inches. This one is once per game of just, yeah, hear something shouting in your head. It's the worst jump scare ever. And it could possibly break your entire army. So if you haven't been following along, so battle, okay, do I lose models? No, but if you remember, uh, if you fail a battle shock test, you count as zero on the OC. No, not that horrible teen drama from the 90s. Uh, that means that you do not hold any objectives. It also means you cannot uh, fall back without penalty, which they did describe in a later article. And it also means you may not uh, be the recipient of any strategy. So all of a sudden, you think you hold three, you hold none if the dice go the wrong. Yeah, for for low leadership armies like orcs and tyranids, you would say they're kind of low leadership because being leadership six and seven and stuff, but. That, that could be super terrifying. Once you start getting to armies like Custodes and other higher leadership things, it's probably not going to be that big of a problem. But it's still a dice roll. It still makes you do stuff. It can still turn the entire tide of the game into your favor. Yeah, pretty neat stuff. Uh, other quick things here. The Swarm Lord has, uh, basically has um, Agents of Vect working with him. He can pick a stratagem that you play and add one CP to its cost. Uh, beyond that, he has a nine-inch synapse range, and um, every command phase he's on the table, uh, you gain an additional lot of that and a few of the other data so far. Mm -hmm. And the Swarm Lord, even though he... So he does... He's one of the first few characters, just like Gilliman was, that has the epic hero keyword, so you can only ever have one of him, but he's a leader, which means he will probably be able to join a unit of some kind. I'm not sure how they're going to interact with monsters joining units of infantry. You know, it would be terrifying, though, if he could join a unit of Carnifex. Just have a brood of monsters walking around. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. 
Yeah, we haven't seen a whole lot. It's a little just, and when we get to it, because we did get Abaddon's data slate, we'll get to that in a little bit. And there's a little bit of confusion there between you start comparing Abaddon to Gilliman's, uh, which we got last week. Who can join what? It's a little confusing right now. I'm sure it it is well spelled out. We just don't have the whole, they don't have the answers today. Yeah. Just want to throw in one last yeah, thing. we don't have. Sorry, go ahead, Robert. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, we don't have everything yet, but we will most likely have stuff here. Per- yeah. Uh, if you are a Tyranid player and you're like, oh my God, paralysis of by analysis, well, I don't know what to do next. Um, keep pay, keep painting your gaunts, whether you're going to get the new ones or you have old ones, because uh, they have a nifty one point strategy. And yes, I said only one command point. Uh, you'd use this in the command phase called Endless Swarm. Uh, you up to two endless multitude units in your army that are within synapse range or one that is not within synapse range. Uh, roll D3 plus three. That's how many destroyed models return to that unit. No Turbagon required. Yep. I mean, the Turbagon will probably still be here and it'll still spawn models like it did, but it'll probably do it in a different way because everyone likes our favorite cow-shaped bug. Very cool stuff. All right, moving on to the aforementioned uh, Chaos Space Marines, the, the baddies of the universe. Um, interesting, most of the Chaos players I've spoken to on the competitive field, this is a bit of a boon. I hate the mechanic. I'm going to tell you that right off the bat. I have a feeling if you are a Chaos Space Marine player, this ability is very, very strong, but uh, watch your clock. This is what happens. It's called Dark Packs, and this is your army-wide rule. Uh, in your army faction is Heretic Astartes. Each time a unit in this ability is selected to shoot or fight it may make a dark pact if it does select one of the following abilities for the unit to gain until the end of the phase each time a unit makes a dark pact after it is resolved its attacks must make a leadership test if it fails uh, the unit suffers d3 mortal wounds your choices are lethal hits or sustain hits one those of you don't remember lethal hits means sixes to hit are auto wounds and sustain hits are exploding sixes. You get uh, each six counts as two hits. Why would you not roll this every time? Probably if there's some kind of scenario that, oh, hey, I'm minus one leadership. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm minus one leadership, stuff like that, where it would put you easy to fail. But from the data sheet that they show off below, Legionnaires are leadership six, so that is actually kind of a spooky thing to think of because you have a a 50-50 shot of failing, effectively. Because I'm trying to, until I actually play it, I'm not going to remember very well. If you roll over your leadership, you're fine. Yes, that's a new... With the new rules. New rules. So seven or higher is a 55% fail. uh, 55% success. So yeah, effectively a 50-50 because we know dice are fickle and so are the chaos gods. Mm Mm-hmm. But the the amount of guns that the Legionnaires have is atrocious. So the fact that you could go something, oh, here's my one dude with a Melta gun, or here's my one dude with a Havoc autocannon, and you can give those either of those abilities with like the, the Havoc autocannon, which is, it's only two shots, but they're, they're hitting on threes with it. It's strength nine, AP one, it's flat three damage. Like, imagine hit, getting a couple of sixes on that. Meh. Yeah, just take the Reaper chain. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's down there. It's a whopping eight shots hitting on four strings, fives, no AP and one damage, just like every other bucket of dice gun is. Yep. Which at that point you would almost want to take, could possibly take automatically wounding. And the reason why this actually becomes a higher success rate, the, the chaos icon they can come with lets you re-roll the leadership test for the dark pack. Yeah, so make sure all your banners are ready to go if you're a Chaos Space Rain player, because that will become a major part. And then I think we can go down to Abaddon, <laughs> this this crazy lad. Yeah, so Abaddon's really interesting. Uh, his weapons are pretty off the hook, especially, we're not sure. I'm hearing rumors that there is a rule somewhere in the core rulebook that says you may only use one melee weapon per fight phase. But um, mm-hmm. if we're still playing the way we know now, uh, the demon weapon versus the Talon of Horus. Uh, one has eight attacks, the other has 14 attacks. Yeah, that's um, that's as bad as the lion currently. Correct. With his 14 attacks. So, uh, if you're fine with Jarachnin, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Eight attacks, weapon skill two. So rank 14, EP minus four, three damage flat. Or if you want to uh, piss off the Blood, Mer- Blood Angels with Talus of Hor- Talon of Horus, 
Um, 14 attacks hitting on two, strength seven, EP minus three, one damage, and both of these have devastating wounds. Six is to wound to cause mortals. Yeah, and it's from looking at it and remembering how Gilliman worked is you effectively pick one of the other abilities that's below him from his War Master thing. Correct. Just like how Gilliman has the author of the Codex. And it's okay, while well, within six Reroll hit rules for cat for heretic Astartes, or give a unit within give every unit within six a four of Binvuln. That's wild. Or you have a a reroll of little of leadership and battle shock tests. So the Lord of the Traitor Legions could definitely be something that if you are going first and you're against Tyranids, you could have the Lord of the Traitor Legions in your pocket for when you think your opponent's going to throw the Shadow of the Warp on you because then you get to reroll all those battle shocks. Because Abaddon's only leadership... He's leadership 5, which is a really, really good leadership value, so he's not going to fail. And keep in mind that the Legionnaires are already, already rolling uh, failed 1, Veterans of the Long War ability. And uh, added fun, if the Warmaster uh, successfully passes his Dark Pact test, uh, he, you get an extra... On 2+, plus, so you could potentially not get one, but you might as well get one for free. We did confirm the Torrent rule is indeed the uh, the new Flamer rule, so uh, if you make an attack with it, it automatically hits. We got that on the new uh, Bale Flamer, as we've seen on the Heldrick. Uh, lots of shots, D6 plus 3, Strength 6, EP minus 1, 2 damage. Only 12-inch range, so it's cut it back a little bit. It does still ignore cover. Yeah, but I mean, the, the Heldrick moves like 12 inches, like 20 inches or something. So Yeah, yeah it gets around. So we don't have a clear picture on what flyer. Quite frankly, the uh, Heldrick has bounced back and forth, large skimmer to flyer and back again. So we're not really sure what, what it is at this point. And then oh. we get on down to the Obliterators after yeah. that. Yes, these, Eric? Yeah, these are kind of interesting. I wanted to hear your thoughts on these guys. Well, for those of you that remember the Obliterator updates for 9th edition or 8th edition, whichever one the new models came out in, they made it so that way you could pick one of three profiles for shooting at it. It was something like, here's a whole bunch of shots, here's a like, few big shots, and here's an in-between. Basically, pick your target and you can use what you want. Effectively, you would always use the in-between because it was effective against everything. So the flesh metal guns, I'm assuming you pick one profile to use, either a melter profile, a blast profile, or the... Yeah, it says right on the bottom. Or the sustained hits profile, where you get D6 plus 3 attacks. That's a lot of bullets. But it's only strength 5, AP 1, 1 damage. So you almost want to sometimes use the salvo, which is D6 shots, but strength 8, AP 2, 2 damage. So again, the, the in-between is kind of good against everything. But the, the melta is what you would want to use to crack open a knight or a rhino or something. Yeah, I agree with you. I was just like, oh, this looks okay. But then I was like, I think they got it backwards that the Runa Salvo should have been sustained hits one, the Warp Hail should have been blast or something. I don't know, something got... But the, the middle range gun seems to be the, the goat. I mean, with a whole bunch of different ways of getting cover for everything, I believe the AP2 won't come in... Like It'll go down to AP1 and if you have something with like a really, really good armor save, like a Land Raider or a storm shield if it still gives plus one to your safe that kind of thing you're basically ignoring an extra level of ap effectively but yeah still d6 three d6 shots at strength eight ap2 two damage is nothing to shake a stick at especially if you give that thing the sustained hits rule from the dark pack that that phrase is really hard to say dark pact stratagem really easy to say dark obscuration rolls off the tongue uh, use this whenever an opponent targets one of your enemy models. Uh, if they're a Heretic Astartes unit, uh, you, you may do this. And basically what this until the end of the phase, your unit has the stealth ability. Not sure what that means. In addition, if the, your unit is a Nurgle unit until the end of the phase, you're selected as the target of the ranged attack while attacking target. So, so I'm going to take a guess. Yeah, I'm going to take a guess at what stealth means. So stealth is probably something akin to maybe a minus one to hit or can't target it unless it's the closest or something. I think because plus, plus one if you have safe. a could be or maybe it's like cover outside of 12. Yeah, Who knows? Because effectively what this strat does is if you pick a Nurgle unit, you turn that entire unit into a lone operative because the lone operative thing made so that way they couldn't be shot at unless they were the closest within 12 this effectively does the same thing yeah it's but it's very being just plant this on a 
unit on an objective and then use the stratagem just to. Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember this kind of idea existing back in eighth edition. You would have like, I mean, obviously you were doing it to characters with the the mounds of plague bearers that just didn't want to die. But you would also make the plague bearers something like minus two or something to hit between being Nurgle and something else. Yeah. And your opponent just couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. It was a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. So well, hopefully we'll find out what stealth means in the near future. But in the meantime, um, move on to Necrons. And guess what? It's a new edition. So therefore, we have a new reanimation protocol mechanism. Uh, it's like clockwork. Yeah. Yep. So I will go ahead and read this off to try and make sense of it. Because this is one that I actually did read initially. And I went, huh, weird. So if all of you remember back to 8th edition, how it was at the start of your turn, you roll reanimates for all of the guys that were dead on a 5-up or a 4-up. On some of them, you would stand back up which was really cool because you could bring back destroyers to full health and warriors. You could bring back a whole bunch, maybe. So at the end of your command phase, so after you hand out buffs, so you can't spawn back in and then give buffs, you reanimate D3 wounds. So taking from age of Sigmar with stuff like OCR bone reapers, where they, if they have destroyed models that are all one wound, that's how many models you bring back. But if they have multi wounds, you heal the hurt model until you have enough wounds left to bring something back. That's kind of the way that reading the reanimation protocols looks at me. And once you get the unit back up to starting strength, you can't reanimate anything anymore. So you basically, if the unit wipes, it's gone. If it's not wiped, you regain D3 stuff every turn. It's living metal and reanimation wrapped into one little package. Yep. So of course, you know, when things change, Players have to moan and groan. And um, I hear what Necron players are saying. They, they, the old days of, I, lose, I have a 20-man warrior blob, and I lost 14 of them. And I have a Cryptek nearby. Ha, ha, ha. I can reanimate 12 of them. Maybe on good dice rolls. You could also reanimate three of them. And uh-huh. I'll go back to the my, the opposite. You mentioned destroyers. That was one thing that was so frustrating. I killed two of your destroyers. You don't have enough dice to reanimate because you can't you can't partially reanimate a multi wound model. You had to get enough wounds to get them back. Now you can mm-hmm. do this. So yes, you're not getting the wholesale mass reanimation that you're used to, but you're getting a lot more reliability. And you got to remember, you don't. Okay, this turn I got three D three back. If I don't wipe out the by the end of the, you're getting another D three back, and then another D three back. It just keeps growing until you're back up to the max level. Mm-hmm. And because it's a random amount, it's not consistent. So it's a, on average, you'll get two back. So if you have a a twenty man warrior brick with flares, okay, you got me down to ten. It's going to take me five turns to get back up to full strength. Given stuff like Cryptex and Ghost Arcs don't naturally reanimate extra thing. Absolutely. And they actually do go off the, the detachment rule here of the command protocols, which no more cards, no more yes. planning out your turns. Yes. I had to say, when they said we're simplifying have... but not simple, it's like, mm, Necron's target number one. Yep. So it got changed to, you got a character in the unit, plus one to hit. <laughs> That's it. Straight forward. That's all it is. Don't care if you're Nickelback or uh, Dynasty, whatever. I mean, it's plus one to hit. Yep. Um, so you got an overlord slap to unit. Boom. There you go. Okay. Plus one to hit. <laughs> got to see the data sheet for the new monolith. Uh, it's big. It's huge. Don't know what the points are on this thing, but um, pretty cool stuff. Uh, the the gate is back, so you can start teleporting models and start vomiting uh, warriors and mm-hmm. infantry. It's, uh, infantry, yeah, infantry as a whole. So you can your lich guard and um, some of your destroyer models. Uh, all come on through. Yeah, all of your destroyers, because all destroyers are infantry. Are they? Okay, I wasn't sure. I've checked out. Yeah, so. they are infantry. The only thing you the only thing you don't get to teleport are wraiths, tomb blades, scarabs, and that's and obviously. So this thing, looking at it, it's like that's a bunch of numbers. Like the death ray, yeah, is wild because it's the first random number of sustained hits. Yeah, you're right. I did not. So you get a single that. shot if you yeah if you roll if you roll your single shot and you hit on a six, you can potentially hit up to four times. That's a while. That is actually really funny stuff. Uh, we have the Gauss Flare arc. Interesting. That's a uh, lethal hits and a rapid fire. I believe that. Yes, it is in fact rapid fire three. So you get three attacks with it. Now, if I remember the monolith, 
it had four of these things on there. Still does. So yeah, you get base 12 shots. If you get within 12 inches of this giant pyramid of a model, it's literally a monolith, you go from 12 shots to 36 shots. If my math is right, because rapid fire, no, rapid fire adds that number of shots. Correct. Yeah, so 24 shots. Yeah, I can math. So pretty nasty. And uh, in case you're wondering, the Gauss uh, abilities are back for all you old school Necron players. Uh, seems like lethal hits is a add-on to Gauss weapons. So therefore, they hurt everything on a six to hit stuff. Mm-hmm. Just like the old rule. And yep, looking at looking them at the monolith a little bit more, this is actually the first model that we see with the towering keyword. Correct. So it uh, does not benefit from cover being behind ruins. So that's interesting. Yep. It so also it can, loses. It some, also flies. It flies. It's always handy, so it can get over that ruin pretty good. Seven-inch movement, not too often, but it will get there eventually. It's also OC eight, so when it gets on an objective, it's actually um, I'm in charge until you get it below seven wounds, in which case it drops down the mm-hmm. because it's falling apart at that point. And they do actually show off the warriors. They are still five-inch move. They are still slow. They are still toughest four. They have they still have a four up armor save. They are leadership seven, so it's a nice average number of potentially passing, but it's a little less than the legionnaires. But they because you reanimate, it doesn't hurt as much. And they consolidated the Gosflayer and the Reaper into roughly the same profile. They just reduced HP and stuff like that. But the big thing is their number is legion ability. Uh, when we talked a little bit earlier about the reanimation protocols. This is where I think the book will shine. Yeah, because instead of getting average two models back, you're now getting back a minimum, like an average of four. Because when you're on an objective marker, you reanimate D3 plus three wounds. So it's minimum four up to six warriors every command phase. So yeah, once they get once they're in position, look out. So that's going to be a little crazy. Yep, Silver Tide is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Your favorite Doomsday Cannon. And then, back. yeah, too bad I'm getting rid of the army. <laughs> um, so, for once in their life, I think G in my time of playing anyway, has gotten the Doomsday Cannon right. Because in 8th edition, to get this kind of profile, you had to sit still, which means your opponent could hide from it. And it sucked. And it was still random shots, random damage. Now it is D6 plus 1, still 72 inches. It still hits on 3s. Strength 15! Yeah! <laughs> Sorry, I'm actually happy about that. And AP 4 and flat 4 damage. So they got rid of the swinginess outside of the number of shots, but it's a blast weapon. So you look at the horde of orcs down range and you go, how many boys is that? 25? Alright, cool. It's D6 plus 1 plus 5. So D6 plus 6 shots. Orcs go boom. And also, if it remains stationary, it gets devastating wounds, so it turns into four mortal wounds every successful six to wound, if I remember how that's worked. Yeah, because you could actually start taking out, I mean, not just large space marine blobs starting to get ripped apart there, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you so it's, if you get five shots with a Doomsday Cannon, and you shoot it at a monolith, not only are you wounding on threes, and the thing don't get a save, oh, no, it gets a six plus save, but if you roll sixes to wound, as if you get five sixes, that monolith just dies. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's interesting now. You, we're finally getting a feel of how how much you know the the big guns and the big versus the tanks. Because then you go the opposite route. Okay, how many Gauss flares do I need to take off those in a mirror? Uh, it might take a while. Yeah, I mean, using the 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 reapers, so the twelve inch ones, probably won't take as long. But that monolith is still going to have a three up save against all of that. And the Void Dragon gets shown off. It has anti-vehicle 2, just as it should, because it literally spawns out of Mars and it's like going to kill Admech one day. And it, all of its weapons are melee range. Well, at least the spear. We don't know if it has a throwing attack yet. So you can either stab something five times at strength 12 for D6 plus 2 damage, and you wound vehicles on 2s always. Or you can make 10 attacks that hit on 3s at strength 8 AP 1-2 damage. That is a drastic difference of what you would expect to see from a weapon like this. AP 3 to AP 1, that's that's actually kind of nuts. That's a big swing. Yeah. And it's not him saying 4, because he doesn't play golf. Mm-hmm. They've got one strategy. And then this, yep, Protocol of the Hungry Void. This is the one that everyone got used to seeing with Scorpex Destroyers going, Hey, you, extra attack, go. 
or extra strength, whichever one it was. Either way, it made them swing at like strength eight and nine, whatever. It was crazy. So it is in the fight phase still, and you target a Necron or target any Necron unit that has not activated to fight yet, and it gives you plus one AP to all of your melee weapons and also plus one strength. So the, the plus one AP is to your characters, whereas plus one strength is just to anything. Crazy. Yep. And that is all of the current faction focuses to catch you guys up on that, along with me, because I didn't read half of those. Next one coming up. And the yeah. next one. Go ahead. Uh, I was about to say the same thing of, hey, it's guard. <laughs> yeah, Eric is super excited for all that. They suck. They're all top us one. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> hey, 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 Eric, don't be spiteful. Oh, actually, it reminds me. It's, while we're talking about spitefulness, people think, oh, so you going to rant about the old world again? No, I'm going to do something better. Now's your chance to win something. So I was cleaning out my hobby closet, and I found a copy of my original Warhammer Fantasies rulebook. I'm not sure which edition this is. I believe it is the edition that included the box set with Bretonians and Lizardmen. If you would like this mm -hmm. copy before I throw it out, <laughs> leave us a, a five-star review on uh, Apple iTunes uh, sometime this month. By the end of the month, we'll take all the reviews that were posted this and we'll randomly draw from those and you may get a free copy of said rulebook. It is in pristine condition, as was uh, used frequently, and um, an antique. So yeah, it's all yours. But uh, leave us a five-star review if you're happy to extend that. Otherwise, it's getting thrown in the garbage or turned into a piece of Kindle for a fireplace. It's like, I think people want this. It's not me, but I'll take a look. Yep. But now, back to our actual identity of competitive stuff. Because on Friday, so Cinco de Mayo, for those of you that actually go out and party, they went a little deeper into exactly how the cards are going to work for stuff like match play. Yeah, this was kind of interesting because there was hinted at this article was going to be coming out. Actually, the, the real thing they said was, we'll be answering this at the Q&A at Warhammer Fest. And for whatever reason, the Q&A was not streamed. So did it get answered, did it not get answered. So hearing this, looking at this article, it almost feels like it was, because we did get a faction focus that day. So it almost feels like this was like an add-on to, to quell the rumors. And um, overall, I think it was fairly effective because it gave us a lot more insight of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, for those of you that were following along with how the mission is going to work, because it's deck generated, you could technically have a whole bunch of different combinations of how things are going to work. So, for stuff like tournaments, it is highly recommended that your TO, or TOs, if it's kind of a team effort, can preset how these mission guns work by like what the primary mission is, what the and what the deployments are going to be like so the players don't have to draw from those decks. But the secondary missions can still be changed around because for those ones, the, the primary, they capped it at scoring 50 points. And there are nine different primary missions that you can use for any game. I, I'm reading this article shorthand because, yeah, I, I'm bad at scripting. Don't don't ever give me a script. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> and so, yes, did it in nine different primary missions, a couple of five different deployments. So five different deployments and 12 different mission rules. So a lot of variety there. And now to the secondaries like I was going to talk about. Yay. And before we get to that. Non-linear cover. So one wow. thing that I could pick up on is that the primaries, it's just an example, it's worth up to max of up to 15 per turn. So that tells me they've got rid of the mission-specific primary. Remember, they used to be five points, and they lowered everything to four points, and they added the mission-specific primary. That seems to be gone. So we're back to mm -hmm. taking hold uh, the good old days of you know five points, five. Ten. Yep. So it is now a literally half of your score is going to be made up of just primary, regardless of whether your army's painted or not, and what your secondaries are. So now we actually get into the secondaries of both decks are in fact identical of 16 different secondary missions that are generic to everyone. And you have two ways of doing this. So you either have the tactical mission where you have all 16 cards and you draw, you shuffle the deck and every turn you draw new ones. Well, you, you draw new, you draw ones and then you replace them as you complete them. So it's the kind of, oh, hey, I have to do this this turn. And then you, you're kind of stuck with them for a while. Whereas if you do fixed missions, you look out of 
seven of the secondary missions and you only pick two of them and those are your only two secondaries for the entire game so you have 16 cards of wild west tactics of change your plan on the fly or seven missions of this is a tactic this is an actual game plan we play into these secondaries this is how i'm going to score my points so what's interesting you do have a a ways when you're doing the random 16 version 16 uh, secondaries you do have ways of discarding secondaries that you don't like and uh they could get into that one is the stratagem which i believe is at the end of your command phase so you can do that mm. yeah this this kind of sucks to, to uh, have to try and tempt us this turn i would like to uh, discard it and draw an additional secondary uh fortunately once it's discarded it's gone for good you're not going to get it back the other option is at the end of your turn you can discard and the interesting thing is you get a command point back you do that so i was like oh that's interesting so we have a different Mm -hmm. ways in the random section of being not totally hosed so it does not seem like there's any list building or deck building and it does not seem like because back in the old days you used to be able to insert so many faction specific secondaries those seem to be gone as well but it does allow asymmetrical play where robert builds his army around two fixed secondaries and he will choose those two and uh he will build his because his army's built around it me eh, caution to the wind i'm going to play randomly and he doesn't know what to stop because i pick my two secondaries if i nail them i pick them up and score them if not they hang around for a turn or so where i can mm-hmm. discard them so the reason why those two different ways of playing actually matter is because of the fact that for those of you that are playing so either of them score you 40 points Either way you play, it doesn't matter which one, you will only ever cap out at 40 points, not 45. So that does mean that the battle-ready 10 points of painted is still in the scoring system. So yeah, armies still need to be painted there, guys. No no gray armies at tournaments. And if you're doing this fixed version where you choose your two, uh, you can't score more than 20 seconds. Yeah, so it's for the fixed ones, it's 20 per card. And then once you get your 20, it's capped out. You can't get any more points from your secondary game, which can be good because if you're if you build your list to get those points early, you can then abandon the secondary plan and start chasing after your opponent. Whereas your opponent, like if Eric was going the tactical way, is trying to change his plan on the fly of like, oh, I have to kill a character this turn, but I also have to hold three points and I have to do then I have to do these things. He has to change his army to be flexible every turn. Whereas the army I would be playing would go, nope, I do these things for like a couple of turns. This is, I got my points. Now we just worry about primary. But either way, neither of us can ever score more than 40 points in either of those fashions. So interesting. A little bit of a five point swing now. Uh, it's supposed to primary and secondary be equal. Primary is five points. Yep. And they do go more in depth with how the gambits are going to work. The dreaded all or nothing planner, <laughs> like all or nothing cards that everyone has been hooting and hollering about so the two gambit decks are also identical so attacker and defender are the same so we and i have to admit i was wrong i just misread that last yeah it's it's something that wasn't exactly conveyed clearly in the last article when they talked about it because it sounded like there was going to be different gambits for what side you were on at that point it would make it so that way oh i built my army let's take knights right now I built mine to score my secondaries super early and also score my primary super early. Okay, now I'm going to take the gambit that I planned for as long as I get it to score an additional 30 points, that kind of thing. That could be one way you could build it, but there's no chance of you actually getting it. So with the gambit deck, you take out the proceed as planned card first. So the one that goes, aha, I have bamboozled you. And you shuffle the rest of the deck, and then you take out one of the other cards at random. And then you add in the proceed as planned card back in, and you secretly choose one. And then after you and your opponent are done, you reveal them. And at that point, that's your new scoring a primary. So if someone takes out one and it says proceed as planned, they just score as normal. Or they do whatever the gambit says to try and score them, you know, a whole bunch of comeback points. So one of the concerns, I think we brought it up last episode, I don't remember if we talked about this on air, was let's go the opposite, which is the how not they intended it. So Robert's kicking my butt, and it's the bottom of three, he's already at 45 primary. And he goes, 
the heck? I have nothing else to play for. I'll do the gambit. So he's potentially looking at 75 primary point because he that's 45 because you keep what you've earned so far and then he gets 30 more from the from the gambit. They do specify that you're still capped at 50 primary points no matter how much you get from the gambit. So no 110 to 27 point games. It's now going to be it's always going to be 100 to something if you get a maximum score. So we don't have to worry about crazy amounts of battle points from people doing crazy things and this is for all the other tos that hopefully listen to us we would love to chat with you guys and see how your events are doing maybe even talk about them on the air aha they they do actually explain how gt packs work for tos to organize events and eric you would probably understand this better than i would because it looks like it's just a mission pack and how to pair up deployments and stuff like that yeah this is a big surprise and uh, and again this was one of those where people read the initial article and the, the sky is falling. No, it's not. So do I have to carry this deck around with me? Tease. You do because you still need it for the second. But the beginning preamble, so deployments, primary mission, and mission rule will be fixed uh, before the game starts. Actually, before the tournament starts. So that'd be in your packet. So for example, they may see, and they're going to give you suggestions where this, this deployment works best with this primary rules. So they're kind of pre-generated ahead of time. So the only thing the players have to do is uh, deploy and then put the deck uh, work on their secondaries and choose whether to play the gambit after turn three. So that part makes a little more sense. So it's not too random where like game one, they're playing the third mission, whereas on table seven, they're playing the fourth. So it's, there's still a, quite a bit of variableness to it because you still have the asymmetrical secondaries, but everybody will be playing the same mission, same deployment, and same mission per round. Because otherwise you would run into scenarios of people on table one set up classic hammer and anvil and they, accident, and they somehow set up the scouring. Okay. Whereas someone on table like 25 sets up something close to something like tide of conviction, but the, the objectives are all weird and the people on table one, well, they scored pretty close to each other. Whereas the guys on table 25, one guy had a blowout because it was just a better deployment and stuff for him. That would not be fun for anybody. And it also be really confusing and really time consuming. Yes, very much so. So I was like, okay, so we're curious to see how much flexibility there will be in these fixed areas, what will become the standard. I have a feeling people won't be diverting themselves too much from what the suggestions will be. Been one of the best parts of the last mm-hmm. mission packs. I, I go to an event in Kansas City. I go to, to Atlantic City. I go to Leicester City. It doesn't matter. I go to Tokyo. It's going to be the same missions. I have a feeling they do not want to get away from that, so I don't think they are from what they're describing. Yeah, and it was kind of expected that the the GT packs were going to be um, concise, straightforward, and very easy to read, just like the GT books were, because of the fact that, you know, match play is supposed to be match play. It's supposed to be an, an even playing field of general, of army players outsmarting one another and rolling dice to see who has the better army of that day. Whereas if you effectively run into something like Tempest of War, it could be super wild and super swingy, and the army that is statistically better loses just because of a odd deployment style that doesn't let them do anything, or a batch of random secondaries that the other army just happened to get in line of and jump so far ahead that their opponent couldn't do anything about it. Which brings up an interesting... I'm looking at the, okay, how do I, how do you win in 10th edition? Still an alpha strike meta. Um, obviously, you got to be able to execute it, but just knowing what we know about these terrain pack, uh, mission pack is you want to score your primary early and often, so you force your opponent to even think about the gambit at this point, or is it just stay the stay the course? I mean, maybe you, you goad them into, oh, I'm still in it on the bottom of three, and then four and five, you just dominate. I'm still trying to figure that part out. I don't think we're there yet. We'll need to know more about the rules, but it just starts at this point from now on, unless I'm going to an event that is using the current uh, Arcs of Bowman mission pack, it's Tempest of War until I, I fully understand. The the way I would like to hopefully see this play out is that the, the Alpha Strike capabilities of some armies, like my knights right now, if I go first, if you aren't hiding behind obscuring terrain there's a good chance i'm picking up either a fourth or even half of your army if my dice rolls are hot and we'll talk about some of my games 
that happened this weekend after this as a good ex- example of that. But with the new way that everything is going to get cover, given it's not a monolith <laughs> or probably a big night, everything will be a little more resilient to my to the guns that have average amounts of AP. So you're still going to have okay armor saves against things. And things are still going to damage and things are still going to get taken off the table. But there is a chance that if people play their terrain correctly, like using forests or buildings correctly, you still get to hide your army and not be shot at. Yeah, I mean, you still need a game about positioning and movement. And as, as most players have said, expert players, especially game is one in the movement phase, standing out in the open and getting shot at and saying, well, I died. Something's wrong with the game. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, on the other hand they go okay so robert's pounding away at me or trying to pound away i'm gonna go hide in the corner but then you go how what are other ways i can score points and the nice maybe i don't have to score that many points early on because he's got to come to me and score some points as well also remember with his big thumpy knights he's not going to be able to cover the entire objective anymore because he can't be on the actual objective so they, there could be some more room to snatch an objective away from them there's a couple things, or I could just, apparently, if I'm playing Tyranids, once per game, I can just battle shock. Yeah, let's just hope I'm not playing Orcs at that point, <laughs> and I literally don't lose the game because I just stop holding objectives. Yeah, so there's, there's a Before couple options. Yeah, so. Hey, listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me, and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR Cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com, and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus podcast. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from reddukegames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in so if you're looking for fanciful drinks go ahead and grab the lovecraft cocktails by the madmen at reddukegames.com the makers of the necro nom nom are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them if either of these is true contact white crow studios and get your models painted by a college trained professional painter you can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Now on to the actual event reports. I come with my own sound effects. That's right. So yeah, we're here. Uh, still ninth edition. And quite a few events to talk about this past weekend. Uh, you want to talk about uh, the out-of-town out of events first before we get to our local? Yes, because I would like to ramble because rambling is fun. <laughs> so do you want to start in Texas or Richmond? Let's start with Richmond. Let's go east to west. Oh, righty. So in Richmond, again, I never thought I would say Virginia had a whopping... How many players did they have? Uh, 109 people signed up for this event. Yowza. So in fifth place, we have Mark Hurdle. Ouch. I feel bad for his last name. With a playing Iron Hands. Yay, Space Marines. In fourth place, we have Sean Reynolds with also Iron Hands. Hey, I said close that. And then in third place, we have Jeremy Knox playing Astro Militarum. In second place, we have Andrew Gagno also playing Astro Militarum. At least so says BCP. Hmm. All right. 
And then first place, we have TJ Lanigan playing Zinch Demons, his tried and true chaos he melt stuff in the face with 18 flamers. That's a lot. Yes, it is. And, and also Bellicorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a, a, a resounding three different factions in the top five of that event. Kind of, I'm pretty sure Desolation Marines were somewhere up in there. And then guard is guard. Pretty much. I mean, nothing stood out really in terms of this design in this particular case. I was more impressed that there was such a large event in Richmond. Glad to see that. And um, some pretty big names there in that top five. So keeping competitive. Yep. And then a lot of these people I've probably seen at other events play against. A, like they, there's a good chunk of Death or Glory and then Goonhammer and then Art of War guys there. So it wasn't any walk in the park for these guys. They probably all had to play pretty aggressively to lock down their points. As ninth edition comes to rest here in a little over a month, at least hypothetically. I and now so. we go to Texas. Yeah, we go to Texas and um, we'll see if the trend continues there. Yep. Now this one, I still I saw a clip of a stream. They do in style. They do still in fact have the giant Alamo piece of terrain in the center of the table solid pieces of obscuring terrain it's like 24 inches long <laughs> fun to play against for some armies not so fun to play against with others in fifth place we have kit smith hana or hannah i'm gonna say hannah with chaos demons in fourth place we have sam cook with guard in third place we have william abelez playing tau in second place we have colin mcdade yay playing demon how many factions has he played now he had sisters harlequins i think that's in between so probably four okay and in first place we have junior flea with votan yeah seems to be a hey remember how this army is going to be a problem uh, yeah they got nerfed. so they got nerfed into the ground what are you talking about well junior didn't care because he brought 15 thunderkin, thunderkin. and a thunderkin. bunch of and a whole and a whole bunch of bikes and a couple of characters and it's a very very aggressive list because it's just a bunch of bikes and a bunch of thunderkin that you you don't get to interact with any of it <laughs> uh votan are fun yeah i still haven't well given your schedule ever lets you come and play eric maybe you'll just do that yes it is indeed a so now we do come on back home to the there is only war part two of 40k i missed part one so i'm a little late to the story i guess but that was a local event here held at gamers guild and we had 40 players at this event after attrition and everything else and the top five we have a different robert coming in fifth place with high fleet chronos and fourth place we have Terra kale coming yeah yeah i said coming in fourth place with world leaders in third place we have timothy borowick of our own smite club with votan because he was there i watched him play it <laughs> in sec in second place we have wyatt harris also playing votan this one was greater thurian league so the less common uh sub faction compared to ymir conglomerate and in first place we have anthony campanella playing tyranids so out of 40 players there was seven Votan lists at this event. <laughs> Which I was trying to figure out, did, did, were they tipped off some way in that, that the terrain was favoring a shooting army? I, was, why so? I don't know why so many, but this event, we we did have gamers. Gamers Guild was very happily using some of the terrain that you would see at Scorched Earth Open or Smite Club Open. Get your tickets now. They're still at a discounted price until like late August or after July. I don't know. I don't remember the exact cutoff date of the discount, but get them now. They're cheaper. So we were using a good chunk of terrain from there, like some of the L's and some of the other smaller buildings. And it was a nice turnout, a lot of different things. And yeah, it was a great event overall. A lot of solid players. I, oh, okay. So I actually came in a higher spot than I thought. Anyway, yeah, no, I went to... I went two and three that weekend, so I didn't do. Tell us a little bit about your game. Uh, <laughs> well, seeing because I don't want to ramble on all night about this. Uh, to sum up, game one I got played into Tau. That was a really tight game. I won by three points because of 
the fact that he I, he did a really good job of the hide part of hide and go seek. The seeking part didn't turn out too well because <laughs> his his crisis suits, along with Farsight himself, came out of reserves. And the only thing they got to shoot at was my desecrator, who was fully buffed. And they killed him. He stood back up. I proceeded to throw my desecrator into Farsight and the crisis suits for Farsight to kill him. Oops. But I did. <laughs> I made that crisis suit unit go from five guys with like 10 drones to one and a half dudes. They ran away from morale. Oh. So I dealt with the crisis suit unit in a single turn. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, a super, t- a super close game with Taylor. Second game uh, was against Ali, Ali Huang. And she was bringing Imperial Knight. That game was mine to win because I had really good momentum going into my second turn because on i went i got to go first i put big guy on the table and i picked up her ion bulwark paladin i want to say it was either paladin or errant but yeah i picked up that guy in a single turn and from there i got to essentially take over the middle of the table on the scouring but then i just lost momentum um on turn three when I failed to do any damage to her other big knight, and my army started getting piecemealed very effectively. In my my third game was into sisters. That one, my my opponent got to go first, and it was status cry salvage. I I picked up seven units on my first turn. There wasn't much about that game going on, but the guy was a great sport. And then round four. Round four is where I found my first Votan of the event. And this is where proper terrain placement and things getting cover would have mattered if Little Knights do effectively get cover in 10th edition. Because he brought Greater Thurian League and he brought two land fortresses. One with a one with a rail cannon and one with beamers. So I I lost three knights on turn one. On my turn two, though, my big guy showed up and I picked up both of his land forge. Wow. On one turn. Yeah. Dike. Yeah. It th- and he used the Forge Master Blink. He used the Uthar um, changing a save into a six. And it was a super close game after I did that, but I just couldn't pull it away because I was I had lost enough pieces on his first turn to not have the mobility to go out and around. So if my Little Knights could have gotten cover by being half obscured. I would have had three up armor saves against some things. I would have had fours against others I, without having to rotate. And also some of the line of sight stuff could have been huge because we both hid behind buildings from one another until my big guy showed up. And then after that, he was literally, he was panicking for the entire game, but he still pulled it out by um, a solid like 30 points, I want to say. If not 30, then by at least 24. Interesting. And then my last round was... Yeah. Um, and then my last round was again into Sisters. This one is a perfect example of someone taking advantage of the terrain that we got. Because we each got a half of a building that was big enough to hide a knight behind. And he did just that. He hid his entire army behind that single piece of terrain. Ooh. And I had to go first. So... Yeah, I lost that game 73 to 95. So it was fairly close at that point. So I guess what I'm just trying to figure out if you had to go first, was it an opportunity for you to just kind of stay put? Or was there like you could hide the small knights, but not the big knights or what was going on? Oh, no, it was because he was playing Bloody Rose. He was going to come to me regardless, but it ended up being I my secondary choices in this mission because it was death and zeal. I could have taken Storm of Darkness, but I didn't because of the fact that I knew for a fact that I was only going to be able to score eight points unless he was aggressive and that I could potentially score more because I would be able to chew his army faster. But I so I ended up having to take the trap secondary of assassinate, which I knew for a fact that he was going to hide all of his characters or trade them like how he would have Celestine because I had a couple of knights go stand near his shrine, which had the Celestine heroics and everything. And it's like, okay, well, if I walk over there and I touch it, I take it from you. Oh, Celestine jumps on me, kills the knight herself, and then flies back in the building or flies forward, that kind of thing. Mm. So it was a, it was a, I needed to score. This was a game where if I could have scored my primary early and often, 
I could have gotten the the um, gap extremely large, but because it was Death and Zeal, and he was slingshotting Repentia out into the middle of the table to eat whatever was there, there was no way I was going to do that because he was getting three points effectively on the the bonus points because he got to kill a knight every turn on an objective. Yeah, it's a little rough there. Yeah, along with me choosing to not interact with his shrine to pull Celestine out because there was no reason for me to do that because, okay, Celestine's over there. You're not playing aggressively. I'll play the long game. I'll sit here and passively score Ruthless Tyranny points. Or if I had taken Storm, I probably would have been able to get at least 8, maybe 12 on it, which wouldn't have won me the game because that would have only put me up to an 85. So he would have still beaten me up. I would have had to hold more primary than him almost every turn. All right. So. Would you make any changes to the list at this point? or would think it was? No, this was definitely an execution thing because... My opponent, Colin, the great guy that he is, admitted that he played the way he had to because he knows for a fact that if his army stands out in the open, like my sister's opponent in round three did, the army gets vaporized by the amount of shooting that I have. Because the in round three, my opponent brought the Triumph of St. Catherine, and it stood behind a unit of ten Sacrosaints. Both of those units died on turn one. Yeah, the only things that were over there that didn't die were the Repentia Superior and the Dogmata that were over there. Because I ran out of bullets. Yeah, because he ran out of shots. <laughs> Target. Oh, okay. Yeah. It sounds like it was an so pretty good event. He, yeah, it was a nice event. A lot of really happy play. Uh, like a lot of really good players. There was actually a pretty aggressive, um, a pretty aggressive fight over who was going to have best chaos at the event. Okay. Between myself, Mark Whitaker, Tarek, and then another person named Killian. So two Chaos Knights and two World Eaters, it was a great time. Because after round four, if Tarek and Mark got paired into other people and they both lost, and if Killian lost their game and I won mine, depending on how things went, I would have jumped up to being best Chaos at the event. Wow. But no, that clearly did not happen because I went two and three and Killian went three and two and so did Mark and Tarek went four and one because his last round opponent was in fact mark <laughs> you know mark is still he's running world eaters or is he going back to his chaos oh no he's, he's still messing around with world eaters he has a very different take on world eaters than what most people would see so not as many eight bound and that's the only secret i'm going to give up on that list because that's mark's mad lab idea <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure the list is available on yourself so very cool all right interesting playing that you're already seeing that you're playing ninth but you got tenth in the back of your whispering in your ear there it's just like yeah a few months from now these models would have got uh it's it's one of those things that i've also just realized through playing knights um i like playing knights i like playing extremely shooting aggressive armies because it's what i like doing but there is something to be said about i i do in fact prefer playing my custodes overall because my custodes just have overall more versatility they allow me to interact with my opponent in a better way than my knight because my knights i stand back there and my opponent sits there and goes how many more is your shooting phase done I'm like no that was a single knight bro you just rolled like 18 shots i know i rolled 18 shots out of a single brigand and i picked up your unit and i blew and i severely damaged a vehicle i'm sorry <laughs> i have three more i have two more of these and a whole bunch of auto cannons yeah there's a lot of shooting um, there but it's on the other hand you take out one model a big chunk of your army so so i i think as much as i would want to finish the competitive season with knights like i said i would i think for the start of 10th edition i'm going to have more fun playing my custode and bringing like again depending on points bringing like five six spikes a bike captain bring terminators like just having more fun at the table well we'll see uh so hopefully chaos knight by certain estimates i think uh factodes but the codex actually comes out soon if that has but yeah give at least an inkling that may switch well when we have those uh faction focus well when the custode faction focus comes up there may be a rant about positivity or a rant about gosh darn it my army sucks still <laughs> on the facebook page i have a feeling the the karate stances i forgot what they're called you were close it's katas okay probably see those katas but i could definitely benefits of having uber characters joining already a very high function really powerful oh yeah yeah i mean i plan 
on having Trajan walk with the unit of Terminators. Just, all right, he's got six bros. All seven of them are walking up to your face. <laughs> and three Terminators right along the way. That makes them all really, really scary. But either way, we'll just see what happens. I'm just excited to start a new edition with an army that I already enjoyed playing and relearning 40k sounds good so as i said plenty of ninth still to go and quite a few previews left to go before we switch over to 10th in about about i'm guessing four weeks and um here on the extraordinary podcast i'm learning all we can about the new edition but also competitive innovations throughout so with that my name is eric i'm robert and thank you for listening to the extraordinary podcast <laughs>